Good evening, it's good to be with you. We are doing snapshots of great men in church history, and we have reached Ambrose. We're going back a little bit. Last week we covered Augustine, and this evening we'll go back just a little bit to Ambrose. Ambrose, you can see here, is the great character that we will cover But even before we talk about Ambrose, I'd like to zoom back just a little bit and try to answer the question, why are we even studying church history? Why are we even doing this in the first place? Why don't we just exposit a book of the Bible? Let me give you a few reasons. Some of these are from a little book called The Reformation by Andrew Cook. And I'd like to pull out just a couple of the reasons he gives for the importance of studying church history. He says that all history, particularly church history, is God's history. As we cover Augustine and John Huss and George Whitfield and Ambrose, we are covering their lives. But primarily, it is simply their lives as a bridge to showing God's activity in the world. We often think of history as being what men have done, and it is. But it is also primarily what God has done. The Bible teaches that Christ is the sovereign Lord of all history, and the only one who has the right to open the seals of the scroll of history and reveal God's purpose in it. In fact, the Bible is full of history. Approximately half of Scripture is devoted to the record of God's dealing with His people. In the Old Testament, from Genesis to Esther, parts of Job, some of Psalms, and sections in the prophetical books are a historical record. And even in the New Testament, books like Matthew to Acts are predominantly historical. Listen to what Andrew Cook says. He says, even apparent setbacks are part of God's long-term plan. And as you look at church history, you're going to see so much darkness and then some light and then some darkness and then some light and then going way down into the depths of the valley and then up to the peak of the mountain. He writes this quote, Tertullian, one of the earliest Christians, said that the blood of the martyrs was the seed of the church. When the English reformers were burnt at the stake in England in the 1550s, many, of, many who had followed them, no doubt, felt that all was lost. Cranmer, Latimer, Ridley, Hooper, Bradford, and others all died under Queen Mary's persecution. What was Queen Mary's nickname? Bloody, Bloody Mary. And yet within a short while, there had arisen a new group of men whose biblical teaching and living surpassed even that of the Reformers and the Puritans. In 1662, when 2,000 Puritan pastors were removed from their churches and livings, it must have seemed like a death blow to the true church of God. And yet... Without the imprisonment of these men, we would not have had so many of their writings, which have been a blessing to the church ever since. It's important for us also, even this evening, while we're looking at these great events of church history, and often 2,000 years ago, 
There's still great church history happening today, even within the last century or two, of persecution that has been used by God to grow the church. In Eastern Europe, there had been significant evangelistic advances in the pre-war years. And then came the war after which the whole of Eastern Europe was annexed to the Soviet Union. Many young churches and new believers were then under a harsh persecuting regime. But in the sovereignty of God, these Christians became the core of a sifted and purified church, which in some countries saw significant revivals. Another benefit of church history is that we can observe the errors of past times and seek to avoid them. Cook writes, most modern errors and false teachings have appeared in some form or another in previous times. So if we can talk about what happened in the past... It will help us today to fight against false teaching. The Jehovah's Witnesses teach denying the deity of Christ had its counterpart in the Arian heresy of the 4th century. The excesses of the modern charismatic movement are similar to early 19th century Irvingism and 2nd century Montanism. Another benefit of church history, and we'll close with this one is that God has preserved His church even through the darkest of times. So with that, let's open our Bibles to 2 Chronicles 16.10. And the big idea I'd like to draw from the life of Ambrose is the idea of composure. We're going to later on look at the life of Asa, 2 Chronicles 16.10. And Asa was a bad example of someone who lost his temper when things didn't go his way. Ambrose is an excellent example of someone who kept his composure when things were tough. And then at the very end, we'll look at the one who's the greatest at keeping his composure, or what the New Testament will call self-control. 2 Chronicles 16.10 Then Asa was angry with the seer and put him in the stocks in prison, for he was in a rage with him because of this. And Asa inflicted cruelties upon some of the people at the same time. Well, we'll come back to this verse a little bit later. Let's open up with the life of this man right here. His name was Ambrose. Ambrose was born into a powerful Christian family in A.D. 340, which was seven years before the birth of Chrysostom, whom we learned about last week, and 14 years before the birth of Augustine, 
we also learned about last week. After his father's death, young Ambrose moved to Milan, the most important city in Italy at the time. And there he received an excellent education in law, rhetoric, and Greek. Who can tell me what rhetoric is? Nathan? Right, it's the art of persuasion. He was good at it, and by the age of 30, he was a powerful lawyer and a governor in Italy. But then, in 374, the chief bishop of Milan died. Now, I know we're using some terms here that we often will not use in our particular denomination of churches, the word bishop. A bishop was the city's chief pastor in charge of the other pastors. So you would have a bishop who was an overseer of other pastors, and then you have the archbishop who was over everyone. And the bishop that had died was an Arian. And Arians falsely believed that Jesus Christ was a created being and Jesus Christ was not God in the flesh. <clears throat> those that believed in Jesus' deity and those that didn't believe in Jesus' deity, they began fighting over who should be the next bishop. Well, here's Ambrose. He's the governor. And he's urging the people to keep the peace. And then suddenly, a child speaks up. And he yells out, Ambrose for bishop! And the crowd joined in. Ambrose for bishop! Well, this shocked Ambrose. How could the people want for their bishop a young Christian that was still preparing for baptism? Well, eight, eight days later, that is exactly what happened. He was baptized and he became the bishop. And immediately he sold his estates. He was wealthy and he gave away most of his gold and silver to the poor. Well, if the Arians thought that Ambrose would take their side, they were wrong. Remember, there was conflict, and Ambrose was trying to keep the peace, and perhaps the Arians thought that Ambrose would take their side. Ambrose held tightly to the Bible's teaching on Christ's deity and spoke with authority from the pulpit. One day, a young man visited Milan after hearing about the powerful preaching of Ambrose. He came into the church service and listened. And then he came back the next week and listened. He wasn't very interested in the beginning, but his interest grew as the preaching 
continued. Soon after, the great Bishop Ambrose baptized him. And his name was Augustine. Well, Augustine would later outshine his teacher Ambrose and become the greatest leader of the early church. I think every godly pastor would hope that his disciples would outshine him one day. That's what happened with Ambrose and Augustine. Well, Ambrose was not only a preacher and he wasn't only a bishop. Ambrose loved music. Today's churches give much time to singing and little time to the Lord's table. But it was the opposite in the days of Ambrose. Churches took the Lord's table every week, but gave little time to singing. Ambrose changed this by introducing congregational singing, and he wrote new hymns for the church. Ambrose was bold for the truth. The emperor at that time was Theodosius, sometimes called Theodosius the Great. Theodosius. Even when the emperor Theodosius became the close friend of Ambrose, Ambrose reminded him that the king was a servant to the church and the church was not servant to the king. And sometimes, as the emperor sat in church, Ambrose would rebuke him publicly in his preaching. In 390, a terrible riot broke out in the city of Thessalonica. Several innocent people were killed, and the emperor Theodosius exploded in anger. Now, Theodosius was typically a wise king. He was a good king. He was wise. He was usually full of character, but he had one great weakness. It was losing his temper. The emperor lost all sight of right and wrong. And he ordered his soldiers to slaughter the people in Thessalonica. Well, after a while, he, he changed his mind. But it was too late. His soldiers had murdered 7,000 Innocent people. Well, Ambrose could not look the other way. Even though the powerful emperor was at fault, Ambrose said, in some causes, silence is dangerous. Now, if you think this is an easy call, look throughout history where oftentimes the king was the leader of the church. Not here. Ambrose immediately removed the emperor from the church and urged him to repent. He said to Theodosius, How can you lift up in prayer the hands still dripping with the blood of the murdered? 
Well, Theodosius came back and he said, what about King David? King David committed adultery. King David murdered. Even great men make mistakes. Ambrose came back and said that if the emperor wanted to imitate David in sin, he should also imitate David in his repentance. In a letter, he wrote this to the king, quote, I call you to repent. Remember how King David repented of his crime. Will you be ashamed to do what David did? You can wash away your sin only by tears, by repentance, by humbling your soul before God. You are a man. You have sinned as a man and you must repent as a man. No angel, no archangel can forgive you. God alone can forgive you and he forgives those who repent. Great lesson for us today. Well, Theodosius thought about it, and he said, Ambrose can't do this. I'm the king. I'm the emperor. And so he tried to avoid the sentence in two ways. First, he showed up at church on Sunday as though nothing had happened. But Ambrose was waiting for him and calmly blocked his entrance. Second, the emperor said he had already repented, but he had done it privately. Ambrose said public sin demands public repentance. The king finally agreed to walk through the streets in remorse. He was not allowed to attend church worship for eight months. Then he kneeled before the congregation and asked for forgiveness in tears. He even made a law stating that the death penalty could no longer be carried out until 30 days after the pronouncement so as to prevent Rash decisions. Well, Ambrose had kept his calm and he had won. He died seven years later after serving as bishop for 23 years. Please turn in your Bibles to the second. Chronicles 16. We opened with verse 10. King Asa did not keep his composure like Ambrose. He lost his calm like Theodosius the Great. King Asa was a good king for most of his life. He worshipped the true God and removed the pagan idols. And because of this, the nation prospered. 
nation had rest. But at the end of Asa's life, he stopped trusting in God and instead he put his faith in heathen kings. And when we come to this passage in 2 Chronicles, we find a prophet by the name of Hananiah. Hananiah. And Hanani came to the king and he essentially said this. He said, King, you are foolish. Similar to the way Ambrose spoke to Theodosius the Great. He said, King Asa, you're foolish. Don't you know that the God, God always gives victory to those who trust in him? But instead, you are turning away from his laws And because of this, judgment and war will never end in your kingdom. Let me give you three ways that King Asa was a poor example of keeping his composure. No self-control. This is a fruit of the Spirit. First, Asa was not humble, and teachable. He could have thanked Hananiah. He should have thanked Hananiah for being willing to rebuke him. Thank you for being willing to rebuke me. James 5.20 says, Whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Not here. He should have looked at Hanani and said, I was wrong. Thank you for the rebuke. Thank you for setting me on the right way. That's not what he did. Second, Asa got angry. He let his emotions take control. He was furious that a man would speak to a king like this. This would be perhaps equivalent for us here in this room today. Something like a child humbly rebuking you as a parent. Or someone younger in your church respectfully, kindly drawing something out. Proverbs says... In Proverbs 23, verse 9, that when you give counsel to a stubborn man, he will despise it. Third, Asa made a hasty decision. In 2 Chronicles 16, beginning in verse 7, we see that he imprisons the prophet. Verse 7 says, at that time... Hanani the seer came to Asa king of Judah and said to him, Because you have relied on the king of Aram and have not relied on the Lord your God, therefore the army of the king of Aram has escaped out of your hand. Verse 10 jumps ahead and it says, Then Asa was angry with the seer and put him in prison, for he was enraged at him for this. And Asa oppressed some of the people at the same time. Those without self-control make decisions they often cannot take back. 
And he threw Hanani in prison, and he put his feet in the stocks. Well, what happened to the prophet Hanani? We don't know. He may have died in prison. There's no evidence that King Asa ever repented. And things only got worse. He developed a serious foot disease. And as his illness increased, he refused to seek the Lord, but instead only looked to the doctors for help. And he soon died. Now, who is the greatest example of composure and self-control? Owen? It's the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not Ambrose. Ambrose was a good example. Theodosius was a poor example. But Ambrose is but a, a speck on the seashore compared to the Lord Jesus Christ. There was never a man that lived with more self-control than Jesus. When Peter panicked and sliced off the ear of Malchus, what did Jesus do? He calmly put his ear back on. John 18.10 When Peter betrayed his Lord, Jesus merely looked at him. When Jesus found the disciples sleeping instead of praying, his rebuke was mild. Matthew 26.45 When liars falsely accused him, he remained silent. Matthew 26.63 With each temptation that Satan brought him, Jesus answered calmly, with scripture, Matthew 4. As the storm raged, Jesus slept in the boat. Mark 4. Jesus is the greatest example of the fruit of the Spirit called self-control. Galatians 5.23 He never lost his temper. He always responded correctly. Even Jesus' anger was controlled and righteous. Psalm 711. God is a righteous judge and a God who feels indignation every day. He always, Jesus always stayed calm even when things went wrong. 